I'm so excited here to be joined by Simon Morado, who has written a wonderful, wonderful book that I literally finished this morning. Book of the Band, Devilish Movies, Dastardly Senses, and the Scenes That Made Australia Sweat. The film, the film, God, the book is out. <laughs> August 1. The experience. Yeah, the, the whole, you know, eyes, ears, uh, shackles raised from terror. Um I'm talking to Simon now. It's wonderful to talk to you. I'm glad you're actually coming in from our, our West Coast RTRFM, where you are also general manager and co-host of the Movie Squad show and podcast. Um, I feel like we're siblings in, in air time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, the community radio sector is great like that. Um, and, you know, like the, the impetus of this book and, and, and what you cover there at, at FBI, we're trying to look at things from a slightly different lens. And, you know, this is uh, being, you know, we're talking the week of Barbenheimer or, you know, around Barbenheimer, but there is stuff going on on the fringes that we do like and need to cover. And and this is a story about what's happening on the fringes. Well, totally. And I, like, I do actually really want to get into the book, but I think it's an appropriate place to start. I did think it was really interesting in that, in this book where you're talking about both the censorship of uh, film, the the history of film censorship in Australia, that's the right order, but then it kind of does come to a quite present context in all these debates around what censorship needs to be doing, who censorship represents and how they represent them. And it always comes back to community standards, this idea of a community. And I was like, it's actually really interesting that you are someone who's quite involved in a community, a community radio, and the idea of providing information, entertainment to a community yourself. Like, I I was interested in how did that affect your making of the book at all, thinking about kind of your engagement with community? Yeah, it definitely did. And I think when I started the book, it it took me about four years to write. Um, And I've been a film critic for about 15 years, but only took on the role of general manager here about three years ago. Um, so when I, you know, I've always been interested in, in film and I was always kind of, uh, darkly intrigued by films that were being censored or banned and, oh, you know, what are they, what are they not showing us? Right. And the book initially was conceived as like a catalog, like here is literally what has been deleted across, you know, the last hundred years of cinema, it's specifically in Australia because there's censorship all over the world, but we have a very specific kind of censorship. And the book is still kind of that, but it became less of a dictionary and more of a story. And and as I grasped the idea of, yeah, like community standards, who is setting the concept of what is acceptable? As as I've come to understand here at RTRFM, for example, but from a community perspective, who sets the standards? It's not based really on robust research or the idea of a community mean or median, it's who complains the loudest. And what we've seen over the last 70, 80, 90, 100 years, it is a very specific kind of complainer. It is, you know, the wowsers. It's those who often do belong to 
you know, fringe groups of a certain ilk. And because they're the loudest and because they are able to be very convincing, especially when it comes to film, because it's all about protecting the kids, right? Protecting the children from content. They've been able to slowly subvert and move us away from the medium. And so that's kind of what the story becomes. And, and when you look at classification today in Australia, it's not just about film classification. It's about classifying the internet and how we, how we navigate the web and what we're allowed to see, not just in the cinema, but in every facet of our lives. That's where it kind of became very scary to me to understand that, yeah, in Australia specifically, um, censorship classification is being defined by those who aren't representative of the community. Totally. And that's that's the thing that I found so incredible and impressive about the book because going into the book, what I had thought it was, which again is massively interesting to me, but just a history of the like, can you believe Night of the Hunter was banned? It starts off, I think, a quite kind of fun, honest look at what's happened, but this shift halfway through, I would say, where you really kind of start talking about the present state we're in and it becomes so much more complicated, especially with this internet stuff. I mean, I remember being quite shocked at moments in the book where you're talking about these kind of real videos of shooting massacres that go around and have to be classified, which is this kind of strange, horrific moment where, of course, as you know, left-wing, extreme underground film enjoyers where impulsively kind of going like, f*** the censors. But there is really important work that's done. And I think you terse out that area quite interestingly. And, and it really is a kind of broader area of interest. Because again, when I'm reading about Cannibal Holocaust, I'm going like, yeah, this is interesting to me. But at, by the end of the book, I was like, mom, I think you might really find this interesting. Like the way that we're talking about how the internet works. I think I found that so interesting, like the, the flip of the book. And I think you really balance those tones well. But I mean, also, yeah, like it's it's quite startling where we end up at the end of the book. I really appreciate what you're saying. And certainly, look, I, I knew the the hook of it was what appealed me to the subject initially it's like oh my god like what we banned breathless we banned the night of the hunter but then also like oh that's so silly that they thought cannibal holocaust was real or you know all the hoops that salo and the texas chainsaw massacre had to jump through um and so yeah i definitely want to make the book this sort of wry look at uh, how afraid australia has been but as as i mentioned before you know there's censorship all over the world and there have been films that have been banned for a variety of reasons but i wanted to look at how australia has approached it and by going down that rabbit hole you do discover well, our classification board, you know, they've made some, you know, some serious, they've taken some serious own goals over the decades, right? Absolutely. They've made horrendous mistakes. They were banning films for being too pacifistic during World War II. You know, All Quiet on the Western Front was banned <laughs> because it's an anti-war film released during World War II. Um, and then it went on to win Best Picture. But when you get to today, and when I spoke to, you know, I speak to a number of people, but I spoke to a former director of the board and she was very upfront and saying like, look, I was having to watch footage of people being stoned to death and watching, you know, terrorist recruitment videos. And even today, things that are being shared on TikTok or WhatsApp that ultimately have to be classified for them to be illegal. 
in Australia. That's so interesting that we have this model for for good or bad. So yeah, it it I tried to make it as simple a story as possible, as difficult as that was. And I hope that people realize that at the end of it, yeah, censorship of movies because of some concept of what is acceptable by far right religious groups, you know, not to paint them all by the same cloth, but hope that people understand, yeah, that's bad. We we don't want to be defined in that way. But unfettered access to literally anything and everything in the modern age is actually a very scary concept. And especially the fact that that moderation is now being taken out of the hands of the government, which, hey, cool, but it's now belonging to big tech that is largely run outside of Australia, which is this other horrifying <laughs> concept that now it's Elon Musk and now it's Netflix who get to say what we see and don't see. No, totally. And like, I, that is equally as horrific. I mean, I have to say my one, my one dire criticism of the book is I hate that I had to read Fred Nile's name more than I ever have in my life. <laughs> and the Sydney folk, I'm sure that'll be triggering for for a lot of you. He does, he, but he's a character. He's a significant character over the course of the last 50 years when it comes to film censorship. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's what's so interesting as well, because again, you talk about how these these groups have kind of changed what they're worried about, these kind of, you know, conservative Christian groups. But yeah, the idea that big tech and also big tech that is reflecting conservative American values. I mean, I was thinking even as well, it's, I hadn't even really thought of it as an act of censorship, but there was big uh, drama a few years ago when Netflix kind of um, re redubbed Neon Genesis Evangelion, redubbed and re-subtitled it. And there was a whole drama where there was a scene that was incredibly homoerotic between these two characters where one says to the other, I love you. And then they change it to I like you and this changes the context of this whole series is done by Netflix. It's not done for governmental opinions. It's because of these like tech industry, which is really quite frightening. Like it, it was a really unsettling point in the no, end of the totally. book. And, and, you know, there's a big part of the book as well where we talk about how um, queer cinema and queer voices have been censored in Australia in very specific ways too. But the point you're making there, um, even if we go, okay, the classification board for all their failings, they offer a, a, a community service that is needed. Whether they're doing it right or wrong, uh, that's debatable. And, and more often than not, it's been wrong. Um, maybe that's not fair, but you get the point I'm trying to say. The the larger point though is that the, the toothpaste is out of the tube now. And what you're seeing is distributors self-censoring. Netflix are now given legislative permission to classify their own movies and are self-censoring or they're classifying themselves more harshly. Uh, Universal this year alone, they released Renfield in cinemas censored, right? So the version you saw in cinemas in Australia is different to what they saw in America because they wanted a more lenient classification here. So it's about, you know, you can't talk about today without talking about the last hundred years because there's this chilling effect and there's this concept that we have as Australians like, ah, she'll be right. We, you know, we don't need free speech in our constitution. We just, we get on with it. We're not like the Americans, but actually we've been taught and trained to be uh, very offended and, to ensure we're not offended further, the the distributors, the streamers, they're going above and beyond to give us the watered down content. No, totally. And it's like, I feel like these, 
these changing broad cultural opinions, like I think they're happening broadly as well. I mean, like there's a whole section about the whole um, Melbourne International Film Festival taking away the trouble with being born in 2020, which I was doing a kind of writing residency with MIF at that time. And I remember that happening and I was like, it feels so strange. I mean, even as well, like reflecting, I, I as, as someone into all this stuff, I really enjoyed seeing In a Glass Cage coming up a lot because again, that's one of the most upsetting, like difficult movies I've ever seen. But I do think it is really, really good, like really stunning. And it was so startling to me that the Mardi Gras Film Festival tried to program it and then fought for it, which I can't imagine such a subversive piece of cinema being programmed in that context now in the same way that, you know, Bruce LaBruce, it was the Melbourne Underground Film Festival who were trying to play LA Zombie, not the Mardi Gras Film Festival. It feels like more and more many of these kind of bigger, more mainstream festivals are less about taking risks, showing something that can be really confronting and more than not kind of trying to tow a safe line. Well, that's why I wanted to, that's a really good point. It's partly why I wanted to write the book as well, because I was a film journalist and I was, I was just noticing under the, you know, under the veneer of what was actually uh, being put out there, I was saying, well, that's been censored or that film, that's not getting a release in Australia. Why is that? And it was so interesting talking to a lot of the people that I did, Philip Adams, David Stratton, Margaret Pomeranz, um, you know, you would talk to them about the, the instances and examples where they fought up against the censorship um, board and more often than not, and not all of those people, but you would hear the same refrain of, well, of course, then the 70s happened and things changed, or it's not been so bad in the last two decades. And, and I think the difference, right, is there's been less enthusiasm to try and push the boundaries. And because of this chilling effect and because of all the examples, like literally the 100 years of stories in the book, people are less likely now, distributors and film festivals, to program something that will cause a fuss. And that's kind of, that is censorship. So whether or not it's making the news or whether or not Mardi Gras or Melbourne Underground, which I believe is back in a new form, or whether it's Myth or Sydney Film Festival, um, whether or not they're programming challenging things and having complaints made against them, you know, it's not happening anymore but not because we're suddenly more permissive. They just know what is going to rile the censors or, you know, those, those wowser groups up. So I, I just wanted to reiterate, like, no, we, we didn't solve it in the 70s when the R rating was introduced. And it's not that the last 10 years it's all been sunshine and lollipops. There actually is plenty of cinema that isn't being shared. Um, we just don't know it or the wider community don't know it. And Trazel Cristal, oh, sorry, um, uh, In the Glass Cage is a great example. Sorry, I'm not trying to be arrogant and give it the- uh, No, no, the it's fun. great. <laughs> it's just how I remember it from writing. But um, when that film was assessed by the censors or reassessed in the 80s, uh, in the 90s, they actually made the point and said, this is a good film. This is, this is a good film. This is the censors or the classifiers saying this. It's a good film. It is clearly a film, you know, uses cinematic techniques really well. Um, but because of that, it's too impactful. And that is why we are refusing classification. And that to me is so interesting that a film can be banned, not because it 
um, is actually dangerous or it's pushing uh, a, a taboo that's too significant. It's that it's demonstrably a movie that is too successful in telling a story about harrowing themes. And for that reason, it's been banned in Australia. No, totally. And that stuff is so interesting. And maybe like it comes back to the community standards, right? Because I remember you are, there's excerpts from the board's review of, I think, Human Centipede 2. And it's this, there's almost this discordance in things where they talk about how these things are shown as being really upsetting and bad. And then they talk about how the filmmaking represents that. But then because it does that so successfully, then it's off-putting. But then it would be so much stranger if it was presented in a really positive light. Like that kind of weird disjunction of like, it's so well made as to be upsetting that it then crosses a line, which means that we can't show it. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of that is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was banned for like 20 years in Australia. And uh, one of the reasons was, or at least in the, the classification board's report, they were saying the violence was gratuitous. Now, the movie's called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Like, what does it mean to be gratuitous or non-gratuitous in a movie about chainsaw massacres, right? And it's this idea that, yeah, absolutely, we got to classify things so that, you know, the mums and dads, they know like, oh, I don't know if I'm comfortable with my four-year-old or 10-year-old seeing this movie because it's been rated MA. Okay, fair enough. Classified are... Over 18s can go and see it now. But banning something because it's got gratuitous chainsaw violence, that's so strange to me, but it feeds into this idea that, well, movies are a mass medium, so there should be for everyone. But not all films are for everyone. And some films are meant to be tasteless. They're meant to actually push boundaries. That's the whole idea of provocative cinema and art. But we don't treat it the same way as we do other art forms. So, yeah, that that idea that a film can be a horror movie and it can be so good that it's actually considered worthy of a ban. Yeah, which is so strange. I mean, again, like I... I thought it was really interesting. Was it legally hard to make this book? I mean, I know you credit that you had some help, I think, possibly from legal people. But, I mean, you are having to watch literally illegal material. Like, was that hard making a book that literally challenges legality? (laughs) So, I'm very careful in the book about saying when and how or where I watch certain things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we'll leave it at that, maybe. Um, Wonderful. But part of it is no, no, not the question itself. But like, oh, yeah. it was, it was a, um, it was an interesting book, and I've self-published this book, um, which, which is something that I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to go it not alone, but if I'm going to do it this way, I'm still going to engage a legal review, you know, and 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 certainly, I just wanted to get that second pair of eyes, and I had a professional editor, and and it was just one of those things where I was wary of certain certain complications but ultimately the the big cosmic joke of the book right or of the conclusion is that the classification board is no longer in the business of enforcement so whatever bannings still exist whatever um studios and distributors are doing whatever streamers we're all doing it to ourselves now like the the damage has been wrought the classification board can step back and you can pretty easily watch some of these banned films um but there's that lingering fear of well what if they what if that link is now in my web history and and what if 
Like, what if I try and import a banned film? You know, will it get confiscated at customs? And then there is real legal risks, financial risks, jail time, even for some of these things. And one of the funny, scary things is, uh, you know, towards the end of the book, in WA, it's illegal to describe or depict certain acts. And the book does that. (laughs) You know, again, I had it all legally checked, but it is one of those amusing, um, amusing slash terrifying moments when you discover are you seriously telling me that it's illegal to describe what happens in this movie? Uh, so it was a it was a tricky line to tread, but I think it's a beneficial one for the sake of letting people know Australia is a ridiculous nation when it comes to the state of censorship. Totally. I mean, I think it, it's such a funny thing as well because it did, it really changed so many things in my head. Because again, like if you are a fan of, these very niche films. So something like In a Glass Cage, like if I watched that film, maybe I watched it on a stream online, you know, and it's like not even thinking about it. Maybe I was in the US or, you know, potentially I know someone maybe who, like I messaged someone I know who does kind of cult film screenings who claims to have been the first person in Australia to have fully played the properly uncut Pink Flamingos. And then I kind of was like, can I... even publicly say that you did that, even though you advertise that, like, it's such a weird thing, you know, or like, I maybe had a lecturer at an art school I maybe went to who uh, reveled in the fact that he screened his class, Ken Park on VHS, which I'm sure was not a true story, but- He was exaggerating. Uh, he was totally lying, which is fine, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, as honestly. A, as a disclaimer. But it's funny because we had Pink Flamingos screen here in Perth for a, for a festival. Um, and mm. it was a festival of like, it's not, it was a, of uh, challenging films and challenging ideas. That was the cut version of Pink Flamingos because the uncut version is still illegal in Australia, which is uh, fascinating, right? Because it's also a Criterion Collection DVD in its uncut form in the US. So yeah, there's so many examples like that and films that were, you know, banned in the late 60s, early 70s, classic films that were never really officially reclassified and have wound up on streaming services here. And I've gone and checked and it's like, oh, wow, yeah, that's that's technically the band version that we have now. And you kind of, it's like, how do I let people know that this is funny and interesting without, quote unquote, dobbing on them? (laughs) (laughs) Or suddenly becoming like the person who reports the people for breaking the law in a way that you actually (laughs) encourage. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I I guess as a finishing point, how are you going to celebrate? It sounds like this is many years of research, some of which sounds quite unpleasant. Do you do you have downtime? Are you working on another project? Like, what's how are you going to enjoy yourself now? It's over. <laughs> it's been funny because um, as I've been launching the book, I've been like, I should really refresh my memory on some of these movies that I'll be talking about, obviously. And I've had some talks here in Perth, and I've got a few more coming up, and. Um, but then also like, you know what, I'm going to watch the Mission Impossible movies one to seven. <laughs> Great, <laughs> because yeah. I think like, I think I may have maxed out my views of Salo as much as I do like that film. <laughs> uh, this process has definitely like, yeah, I think I'm just going to like, let's catch up with some old episodes of a TV show. Um, as for a next project, I'm, I'm pretty happy to, to give some time between, you know, whatever, whatever sparks my interest. But um, I also think 
as, as concise as I've tried to be about the story, I don't touch on the censorship of video games, which is a significant issue, um, censorship of books. And I have already known, even just in conversations with people, like after telling them about this project, a new story emerges. So I kind of don't think I'm done with with this tale, but hopefully Book of the Band as it stands in its first edition is, is a, uh, an accessible and helpful guide to let people know about what's really been happening here. Yeah. My okay. My pitch: If you do an expanded edition, I remember reading the uh, at the movies review when somehow Salo was unbanned or released, and I was so surprised because Margaret po- Margaret Pomeranz didn't watch it. She's like, I can't bring myself to watch this. So it's your job to make Margaret watch Salo. Oh, great. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny because speaking to Margaret and David and these proponents of you know, anti-censorship proponents, they all had their red line, and yeah. I have my red line in the sense oh, as everyone as everyone should. Um, but okay, I'll speak to Margaret again and say we're going to do it. Maybe we'll do a live commentary. Margaret, oh, yeah. how about that? <laughs> I, nothing sounds better. Thank you so much, Simon. I just want to underline again, Simon's book comes out August 1. Simon Morado, Book of the Band, Devilish Movies, Dastardly Senses, and The Scenes That Made Australia Sweat. Really, really great book. I really think it is so compelling, so easy to read, while also very serious in its research and queries about where we stand now i i really could not recommend it more thank you so much simon for your time thank you thank you man Um, appreciate it a joy a pleasure